0: He finally said, "Have you ever seen my DaCos, mate?" I said, "You're what? What the hell's a doco?" <laughs> I do documentaries, I'm like you do. No, I've never heard of you. He goes, "Here, I'll show you. Let me show you one. Go back to the hotel tonight. Have a cot and a beer. Go through it. You know, blah blah blah." So we bring home this VHS tape back to the hotel of the first crocodile hunter. Welcome
1: to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, now we're probably really live. So.
1: Welcome to From the Ground Up Podcast. So we have t-shirts as always available on portcitypythons.com. We have some animals available. Um, there looks like there may be a shipping day, maybe one day. I don't know. Far, far away from now. But uh, <laughs> you can check out available animals. We will hold them at no cost to you. Otherwise, Southeast Carpet Fest. So you heard our episode with Ian. And so, uh, uh, Southeast Carpet Fest is February 9th at 2 p.m. at Terrestrial and Arboreals Facility in Melrose, Florida, hosted by Pia and Cody Bartolini. And then it is sponsored by Forrest and Desiree Fanning at Cold Blooded Cafe, FeederSource.com, Herpeticul- uh, Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm doing bad at talking today. Sorry, Robin Justin. and the
2: team at SYR <laughs> and the Herpeticulture Podcast. Thank you, Jeff Frederick, for this year's logo. The auction has over a hundred items that are now posted and live on Facebook.
1: You're a good reader.
2: He spelled something wrong. Shut up. Um, the group. Now you <laughs> messed me up. It's on the Facebook group page. Benefits. Wow.
1: Well, Ian. <laughs> it explained- benefits
2: four universities to study NIDA virus. Bidding now is open. With live finish at the conference at the. Harvard Fest on February 9th. Ooh, but that's please, why we
1: can't write Please
2: us, RSVP right? on the FB event page. If you're coming, you have to bring something that is your price of admission. Please contact Ian to choose something from the list of what they need as far as food. Hotels in Gainesville, tent, camping on site is an option. Airbnb in Melrose, Keystone Heights, Gainesville, others. Gainesville International Airport is 25 minutes away. Jacksonville International Airport is one and a half hours away. Orlando International Airport is two hours away. Jesus, Ian, there's so much more. Friday night, they are planning a get-together at one of the local Gainesville breweries. So if you plan to be in town Friday night... Please contact Ian for details. I'm never saying that again.
1: Ian, that's Ian Bissell of s and Reptiles. I'm not you guys giving, want saying again, that at that the beginning of every podcast to put meeting that. up till. Well, to it's put February that in 9th. The it's only a few. And we're going to have Cody and Pia on probably in the middle of this week. So. You will get to hear. More so then we don't have garbage. to say that. They can give their own spiel. <laughs> they can spiel themselves, and we're going to talk about their crazy, uh, they have, I believe, Venomous, as well as a bunch of Morelia, whether it's Green Tree Pythons, Carpet Pythons, stuff like that. And they're on the forefront of kind of figuring out all the nido stuff. So who knows? We may talk about that if we get the courage.
2: Cool. The Warriors, Woo-hoo. Well, back to you this week, <laughs> this week's guest.
1: <laughs> so this week's guest, will be jeff lem he is a zoo based herpetologist so jeff can you tell us a little bit about what you're uh, a little bit about yourself and what you do and then also
0: tell us how you got into reptiles hey hey guys how are you thanks for having me on yes. um yeah my name is jeff lem i'm uh 47 i live in san diego <laughs> california i like long walks on the beach <laughs> No. Um, Yeah, herpetology. It started at a very, very young age. Uh, My dad's like a hardcore outdoorsman, so he started us all, you know, backpacking and fishing and everything when we're just starting to walk. And we also lived by the San Diego Zoo, so I was at the zoo every week, um, always at the reptile house. And my dad kept some herps when he was a kid, and he showed me pictures, and he'd catch king snakes in the yard and show them to us when I was a toddler, and. And then out in the desert, when I was about six, I caught a gopher snake, and uh, that just kind of reinforced it all. So, let's see, 41 years later, yeah, I'm a herpetologist, uh, again, zoo-based. I do conservation research. I've worked with a lot of stuff over these last... 27 years as a herpetologist. Um, I do a lot of local conservation work here in San Diego County, uh, with a lot of our threatened and endangered reptiles and amphibians. Um, I think I'm probably known best for monitor lizards and rock iguanas. Um, I've worked for 27 years with rock iguana conservation in the field in all the islands in the Caribbean. Uh, started in Cuba and went to many other islands and uh, breeding other research things like that. But um, since that's all zoo stuff, we're gonna we're gonna go the other direction and talk about uh, the kind of the private stuff field herping um, has been a biggie. Um, And a lot of that is thanks to my career because I get to go to a lot of cool places all over the world. Um, And now my kids want to go to all these places. So yeah, (laughs) a lot of travel, a lot of field herping. Um, I've been keeping and breeding herps for Oh, probably close to 40 years. Um, Like I said, my first ones, I was six or seven. And I mean, all kinds of stuff. I mean, name it and I've probably had it. So,
1: Okay, yeah. I was just going to ask, do you have any preference as far as even
0: lizard snakes? But it seems like you're kind of into everything. I like everything. I like weird things. Um, Some of my friends here, Al Feldman and some of the other guys that have been my good friends for a very long time. We like the weird, quirky things you don't see every day, you know, even like, you know, spherodactyls, little reef geckos and, you know, crazy weird lizards and odd little snakes that nobody has like telescopus and just odd things. But for me, it's always been monitor lizards. Um, probably got my first monitor when I was 12 or 13. I've had most of the available stuff. I've bred probably nine species. Um, I'm kinda of starting to take a break now on monitors for the first time and geez, thirty years. Um I've got two right now and that's like huge for me. Just trying to simplify life, you know, monitors are a lot of work. It's like having a dog and when you have twenty of them, it's hard to go overseas and herp. Um, so yeah, I'm kinda of gonna take a break for a bit on the monitors. I still have some snakes. Always had snakes, I love snakes. Um the venomous stuff is all in the field. You know, I have kids, so I, I don't want venomous at home. Uh, California, we can't really have venomous. We can have native venomous, um, but I see 20 rattlesnakes a week in the field, so I don't need to bring them into captivity. I'd much <laughs> rather watch them in the wild, so. <clears throat> yeah, so no real preference, basically. It's mostly spornate yeah. reptiles, so.
1: Gotcha, so, I mean, what's the biggest difference you've seen from
0: keeping monitors, say, 30 years ago to now? huge difference. Uh, I mean, you know, the monitor craze probably started like in the 90s when people actually started having some success. Uh, Frank Reedus, obviously. Frank's a good friend of mine. And, you know, I was visiting his house and we talked monitors and I was working with Komodos and things like that at the time. So, you know, we became good friends and he was just killing it, breeding everything. You know, Frank's a legend in the field and and with captive herps. so we became friends and um, and then the forums came out and uh, it got ugly with a lot of people, me and Frank included. Everybody thinks we're enemies, it's hilarious. Everybody thinks we're like, hate each other. But then they see pics of us field herping together with my kids and they're like, wait a minute, what's going on? But no, the forums weren't good for the monitor guys in the 90s, we all just scrapped. But um, yeah, I mean, the the biggest difference is, you know, people are applying what they see in the wild to captive animals and with monitors, that was huge. I mean, you know, in the eighties people kept them at eighty-five degrees and, you know, barely kept them alive. And then in the nineties, people started giving them the actual temperatures they needed. And a lot of that was Frank again, because Frank and myself, we both were in Australia all the time. And, you know, we're taking temp guns out there and, you know, shooting Tristis at 130 degrees. And he was like, hmm, I think we're doing it wrong. So once once you start giving them the temperatures and the daily feedings, then it exploded. And they're actually fairly easy to
1: breed. Wow. So what kind of animals have you bred privately?
0: Oh, uh, Monitor wise. Monitor wise. Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, Kimberly rocks, uh Kingorum and both Akies, Tristus, Persinus. Um, geez, what else? um trying to think i'm i'm also not including the zoo stuff because when i lived in australia we you know we bred perennies and lace monitors and keith orneye and all kinds of crazy stuff so at home that's probably it four or five species i i try not to work with too many different ones at once i kind of like to focus on one thing yeah for sure and it seems
1: like you kind of had a little bit of a taste for the smaller more like uh Easier to keep
0: as far as space-wise, it seems, <laughs> especially in California. Yeah, you know, I, I had my giant monitor phase. Like I said, I worked professionally with Komodos and white throats. And, and then I had one of the largest ornate Nile monitors on record at home. He was over seven feet long, big puppy dog tame thing. Um, and I had Indicus and Malinus and Uwanoi and all that stuff at home too, but always just single animals. It's just, they take too much room. The big ones just, to do it right, you need massive areas. Lots and of I, just, space. I, I yeah. never had that, you know, so. And I just love Odatria. They're just the coolest little creatures alive, so.
1: That's awesome. So you never, I mean, you must really love it. I mean, for as far as keeping snakes, you know, it's so simple. And not only are you taking care of
0: monitors or large lizards at work, but you're coming home and doing it also. Right. It's uh, it gets to be a bit much, you know, and especially when I go out of the country you know, and in the beginning of my career, I'd be out a couple of months, three months at a time. You know, yeah. that would fall on my wife. taking care of monitors and, you know, Sanzinia and boas and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I kind of toned it down at home over the over the years. And and once the kids were born, I got rid of a lot of stuff and uh, just keep a few things here and there. The most I keep at once is like 20 animals. And uh like I said, it's mostly field herpetology is my favorite thing in the world. I'd much rather go out and find stuff and photograph in the wild and learn about it out there. So I did mean your... I'll always have herbs. I'll always keep herbs, but uh mm. you know, you need a break sometimes.
1: Did your travel interest come before you know you had to do it for work or did it come with the you know, the ability to
0: kind of get paid while you go? <laughs> yeah, right. Um <laughs> Travel herping-wise, um, I really didn't start doing, yeah, until college and until till work came along. Um, we traveled all over the U.S. doing outdoor stuff, you know, climbing mountains and backpacking and ski packing and, you know, mountaineering that sort of thing. That was all over any of the big mountain ranges in the U.S. Um, but yeah, once I started traveling for work, uh, I think I was 20 when I first went to Cuba um and then i got the bug you know seeing stuff i dreamt about seeing in the field just made it worse and you know then all the caribbean mexico you know australia everywhere it just started and and it hasn't stopped for some reason I don't, I don't know why.
1: <laughs> so i mean how did you make it over to australia kind of how did
0: that come to be um australia was a place i always wanted to go from childhood on up um <coughs> excuse me um the first trip i did was in the mid 90s and that was uh for some research i was doing at a zoo over there um and i tacked on two weeks of travel onto that you know if they're gonna pay my airfare i'm going herping. so i went i kind of went up the east coast and then i flew to darwin herped all around there met some really good friends who are still really good friends today that's when I met Steve at Australia Zoo. Um, you know, Steve Irwin wasn't a name here at the time. Um, he was a name over there. His show was on in Australia, and they canceled him. Nobody liked him. Um, I just knew of him because he had monitors at the zoo. You know, his dad started Australia Zoo. It was called Queensland Reptile and Fauna Park when I first went there. And uh, I met Steve, and you know, we just started talking monitors. He showed me pythons and. You know, we became good friends. Um, we kept in touch. Uh, he was, he, he, I still had no idea he had a show, and he was acting. He never brought like it he, up. He never brought it up, but he was acting like I should know who he was. <laughs> and uh, he finally said, "Have you ever seen my doc as, mate?" I said, "You're what? What the hell's a doco?" Like, I do documentaries, I'm like you do. No, I've never heard of you. He goes, here, I'll show you, let me show you one. Go back to the hotel tonight, have a cot and a bee, go through it, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we bring home this VHS tape back to the hotel of the first crocodile hunter. And my friend and I were just cracking up. And this guy is nuts, he is going to die. And uh, we went back the next day and I I said, dude, you're crazy, how are you still alive? And he goes, it's just what I do, you know, blah, blah, blah. um, he goes, but they hate me here in Australia. You know, it's 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 never gonna be a thing here. I've cancelled already, and and I was doing a lot of TV for work. And I said, hey, there's this new channel coming up, and it's all animal stuff. Uh, you should check into it. He's like, really? I said, you'd be huge in America, and people love that stuff. He's like, really? I said, oh yeah. <laughs> so he called me like not two months later. Hey mate, I'm gonna be on your animal channel. I was like, really? They took it. He's like, yeah, yeah. And then it just just blew up. And, so then you're uh, the
2: reason. No, nah, I wouldn't in... say I'm
0: the reason. I'd say his 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 director, Johnny, was probably the reason. I just said, hey, there's an animal station. Check it out.
1: Hey, you planted uh, the seed, I feel like though. Oh no, no, no. I oh, I'm gonna hear about this now. And but, was uh, he immediately like that guy that you see
0: or was it a little bit different upon first meeting him? No, when when you first meet people they aren't ever what they are. <laughs> you know, and um I mean, we got to know each other. We were constantly talking back and forth. He came out, um, he came out to film a couple times because he lo- all Australians love rattlesnakes, and he said, "Hey, can you put me on some rattlesnakes?" I said, "Yeah, that's what I do, man. I can show you some." So I was his guide for a lot of that rattlesnake show he did for the California section, and uh, yeah, we cruised around and caught stuff and filmed and everything, and then uh, probably two years later maybe like we'd see each other and i'd go back to australia and and then just out of the blue he said hey you should come over and work at the zoo and i was like yeah man you guys have cool stuff and uh so i took a year off work here i took a sabbatical and that's why i went to australia zoo and i was supposed to be kind of teaching research to his staff but it, i kind of became a reptile keeper i did a couple things over there but it was fun i mean you know working with inland thai bands and lace monitors and perennies and crocs and everything so but then you know then you kind of start seeing who the real guy is and he's not the dude from tv not at all and uh yeah i I mean i'll just say it didn't end that great personally between us because he's a he's a hard-headed guy and uh very scrappy very uh his way or the highway, sort of thing, and uh, it just it, it just got difficult. I had a great time there. I thank them for everything we did. I have fantastic friends who still work there. I was just there two years ago at Australia Zoo. Um, really good people, and uh, yeah, we keep it at that. We still go herp, and I still herp with a lot of the guys from there. Uh, it was a great experience. It was fun. I uh, only. Probably-
2: yeah. Imagine like I feel like it's like uh, being a kid in a candy shop because Australia has all the things that we so desperately that we've been want. Drooling over no it's it's right day. we're all drooling over here and like oh my god what if like yeah. if we got this what if and so I feel like I can only imagine what Joe would be like oh, yeah. getting access to the Australia it seems Zoo like you day.
1: are like very good at sneaking yourself in the beneficial herp situation. <laughs> <laughs> really Is that what That's you're saying? You yes.
0: <laughs> and I mean <laughs> if you if you ask people to this day, it's like if they ask me to speak at uh, you know, Chicago Herb Society or something, I say, yeah, fall or spring and we do a trip to Snake Road. That's the deal. And so yeah, I always I always make sure those any travel has some herp component to it. Yeah, you know, it's the easy way to do it. Why not? You're already there, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I still herp Australia. I took the whole family over, and we're going back again here pretty soon. And it, it's just, there's nothing like it. I mean, you know, when we lived there, we had kangaroos in the backyard and carpet pythons in the garage and, you know, Odura and everything running around and billions of frogs. But when you actually get out in the bush and herp, it's just, ridiculous i mean for me and i'm a photographer too and it's like you just can't even keep up with this you know you don't want to get good shots of stuff you can't keep up there's just so many herps that you just get tired of shooting and know just and especially if you go to places where nobody goes then you just you can see stuff all day and all night you just exhaust yourself
1: yeah i mean and australia for those of us who are into you know the reptiles of australia we know that we could spend our whole life trying to go to every region of it's so vast and huge so i mean like what's what's one of your favorite like
0: habitats or regions of australia or things to find in australia um monitors obviously um i love western australia i've herped all seven states of australia Including Tasmania. And, you know, I feel like I haven't even touched it. And, you know, it's just, there's so much and so much more to see. And I'm constantly planning trips and I try not to go back to the same places. But then it's like, oh man, Western Australia was too good. I have to go back. So, you know, WA, any of the desert regions, the rainforests are great too. But, you know, it's tougher to see herbs and rainforests than it is out in the desert. I like the top end too, you know, anywhere in the territory. and. Territory in Western Australia are probably my two favorites. Awesome. And is there any I mean,
1: photography, did that come from the herping? I mean that just come from you wanting to
0: kind of capture the moment. Yeah, kind of. My dad's a photographer, so but I was always the one in front of the camera, you know, hanging off a cliff or, you know, ice climbing or something. He was always taking photos of that. And uh, he's still an incredible photographer today. He he does landscape stuff, and he's not really a big animal guy. Um, I think I got into it really big. My dad handed me a camera when I was 20, when I was going to Cuba, and said, if you don't take pictures, you're going to hate yourself. And (laughs) sure enough, uh, that's kind of how it went. I got really, really into it. I was fortunate enough that he had taught me enough that I got some really good shots in Cuba on my first trip. And uh, yeah, it just steamrolled from there. And then you know, back in the '90s, I wrote a lot for all the Hurt magazines when we had those sort of things still. And uh, so yeah, I mean, it was good money because you'd write an article and you get paid for cover photos. And so I wrote for Reptiles a lot. Um, so Man, a lot I wish that still existed. I know <laughs> <laughs> that Did was a good buy old days.
2: The other day?
1: No, yeah, I keep on buying old ones. You know, yeah. that have you know cover photos that I
0: like, usually like right.
1: black rat snakes or something stupid.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, once the digital age came out, everybody and their mother could take a photo. And yeah. so there's like zero money in photography anymore. And so now it's just a fun thing. And a lot of the kids, a lot with my kids and herps that they found. And, you know, still a lot of animal stuff and, and landscape stuff and underwater, whatever I can do.
1: Yeah. Now, I mean, snakes are probably... And monitors alike, I guess, if they're in the wild, they're probably among the worst things you could try to photograph besides right? like hummingbirds. We or something. get so
2: frustrated trying to get a picture in our perfect bowl, perfect lighting in our own house. Like yeah. it just seems so
0: frustrating in the wild. <laughs> it, it depends on the animals. I mean, that's why you see so many rattlesnake photos, because they, they just pose. That's all they do. But rosy boas are a whole other ball game. They just don't stop moving and you know, blind snakes, that's about impossible. Uh, monitors are actually pretty good. They often sit still. You know, they think you're going to eat them, so they just freeze. Um, but yeah, I mean, it depends. Any of the diurnal, fast moving snakes, they, they're a pain in the ass. Elapids are trying to get you the whole time. <laughs> you know, if you get right. too close with your lens and they're coming for you. And in Australia, when you're out in the bush, you really got to watch yourself doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just depends. Pythons <laughs> are really easy, actually, they just sit. Mm-hmm.
2: I get so discouraged. I feel like I don't know. I guess there's no specific uh, corn snake herper <laughs> picture or her photographer out there. They'd really get frustrated I or anything know. like that.
0: You got you got to have patience. That's the number one thing. And trying to teach my kids that because they're into photography, it's just chill. He'll calm down. Just you know, relax. You'll get it, and they end up getting it usually nine out of ten times. So. Yeah, now,
1: I mean, how was it? Kind of getting your kids out there because you've alluded to it a few times.
0: No, it's the best thing ever. It's I love it, and you know you herp an area for forty years, you kind of get oh, okay. Yeah, there's another king snake. Yeah, there's another rosy boa. It, you know, it kind of gets old. You want to go other places and do it. But when my kids really started getting into herpetology, then it was fun because you know they could read my i wrote the book on san diego herbs and they could they read the book and look at it and well oh, i want to feel i want to find one of these where can we find that oh you want to go look yeah let's go so that made it more fun and that's why i still do a lot here in san diego with them because they just love it and then when yeah. you take them to another country it's a hundred times more exciting so just seeing it on their face you know you hand your kid a you know i don't know a frilled lizard and they just lose their mind you know it's cool yeah i mean i would lose my mind if you had make a real <laughs>
1: lizard i would lose mine too
2: but probably in a different yeah. way <laughs>
1: but i mean it seems like you have such vast knowledge i'm sure of san diego you've been herping there so long so i mean what spurred you to make the book and then also kind of what are or how do you approach herping kind of in San Diego like can you tell people where stuff is do you not are you secretive about
0: it <laughs> I mean yeah I mean we're, we're all pretty secretive it's uh like fishing, spot. You know? I'm, a, I'm a fisherman too and you know you keep your spot you don't want somebody messing with it and I mean good friends yeah we herp together I'll help people out um people I've known a long time who are coming to San Diego if they ask I'll give them hints and I don't get that on GPS coordinates, but I'll give them hints and say, yeah, that time of year, this is what you're doing, this is where you need to be. You'll get them, and they they do. Um, If they're decent herpers, they can usually pull off what they're looking for. But um, the problem I'm having right now is there's this new crop of herpers. And I'm sure you've heard about it on Facebook. And and my son is in that age category. And the 16-year-old kids who just got their license they want a herb, mostly because they want an Instagram photo to get a bunch of likes. And, I mean, even older guys, I was having issues with some older dudes this year. And it's like tearing up the habitat, not caring at all about the animals, just to get that shot for Instagram with their cell phone and, it, and I mean, just plundering board lines. You know, we have these boards, you know, cover objects like they do everywhere. There's a certain time to do it here in San Diego County. And if you do it too early, you're going to mess it up. And if you do it too much, you're going to mess it up. Meaning no animals are going to be there. Mm -hmm. And so these kids have found Google Earth. They've found everybody's board lines and they're just pummeling them. I mean, I saw the same king snake that I knew from my board line that I established in probably eight different Instagram photos in a week. Wow. So I picked up my boards and I left. And now I just, now I put it on, you know, private areas and places people can't go to. So, you know, it's, and and I get it. It's an excitement thing. Everybody wants to herp and find the animal and everything, but man, some of these people got to just cut it, tone it down a little bit, you know, there's plenty to see, plenty for everybody. You don't need to trash it. So there's my soapboxing for the day.
2: Well, and I understand Um, being secretive, but tell (laughs) us a little bit more about the book though and what led Uh to writing the book.
0: So you know, yeah, I mean, I've herped here my whole life. I know where everything's at. You know, I've done research here. I know what needs protection, what needs help. And I had all the photos. You know, I've I've herped so long that you just get a good collection of photos of everything. And I was going to make kind of a photo guide. But then, you know, there there wasn't really anything out there for San Diego County. And you you don't typically see books on just one county. You do now. People are starting to do it more. But San Diego County is very important. It's a biodiversity hotspot. We have more endangered species than any county in the United States for all for all animals and plants, except for Hawaii. So, in the contiguous United States, we have more endangered species. Um,
2: there's a lot, of
0: develop, a lot of development. People want to live here. You know, you get, you pay the seventy degree tax. You know, it's always nice here. Everybody wants to come here. So housing is a premium it's expensive and so the habitats get trashed for housing and the prime habitat which is coastal sage scrub is what they like to develop but that's now one of the most endangered habitats on earth it's you know over 80% gone and there's a lot of species that can only live in that habitat so you get you know in coastal san diego that's the only place you find red diamond rattlesnakes which are a protected species coastal horn lizards Coastal patch, no snakes, I could go on and on. Those are all from Coastal Sage scrub. So I figured, you know, if I'm going to write a book, I want to do it on what I like. I'm doing it, it's going to be a field guide, but it's going to have a big conservation theme. So I wrote for three years. It was close to 300 pages on just this county. Photos of every herb, every habitat, and everything. And it was a lot of work, but it was rewarding. It was fun. Um, and then, of course, genetics came into play, and two years later my you know my <laughs> all the all the names are out of date so uh it's been i wrote that in two thousand and six, so I'm thinking of doing an updated version now that things have been split and changed and renamed and everything else, so we'll see all right. So
1: does that mean? I mean, if you did a book about every reptile, I mean, have you found every reptile in San Diego, San Diego County? Oh, yeah,
0: many times over. Except like there's, there's a couple taxa where there's like one known specimen from you know the '60s or something. Probably don't occur here. Sounds uh, like
1: an excuse, man.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, we're, I've looked for them. I have looked for a them, few but, more uh, boards. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's like, right on the edge of the county, and it might be in the other county, but not ours. It's, you know, yeah, every county there is. And then yellow-bellied sea snake, no. You know, six have washed <laughs> up on our shores, but no, I've never seen one. I haven't seen leatherback sea turtles here, but, you know, they do come here. You know, we actually have quite a few sea turtles that come to San Diego. They just don't nest here. So, yeah, it's tough. But, I mean, I also caught an alligator in Mission Valley. So, I've got my rare ones, too.
2: <laughs> Interesting. Wow.
0: This case, I used to have a company called San Diego Snake Catchers, and, like, half of the species I'd get at a snake hall were exotics. I mean, it's not quite as bad as Florida because our winters are a little colder. But, yeah, a lot of Burmese pythons, ball pythons, boas, iguanas, bearded dragons, Nile monitors, alligators, caimans. Yeah. A lot have of crazy
2: In stuff. people's houses?
0: Um, or out in the bush, you know, that have escaped or they've let loose. I just got an albino boa last week, um, from a hillside down in East San Diego.
2: Yeah. So you're still, um, so you said the business doesn't exist anymore, but you're still doing that for people. I
0: get, I still have the same number. So people still call me (laughs) and if it sounds interesting, I'll go do it. If I have the time. Um, but no, you know, when the kids were born i I couldn't work full time and and handle five snake calls a day. It's just too much, so yeah, yeah, I mean that's
1: a place where you would actually get frequent phone calls, I'm sure, with rattlesnakes yes. and stuff
0: like that, a lot of rattlesnakes, a lot of king snakes, gopher snakes, alligator lizards. And, you know, people always way over-exaggerate what it is. you have a nine-foot black and yellow banded snake, oh, you have a two-foot king snake in your backyard. Then <laughs> you go there and it's a scrub fight. Yeah, so you, you never know. It, it can be interesting. So. Yeah, for sure.
2: Wow, I feel like I have a very uh, over-sensationalized view of what that is. We watch, I don't know if you watched the show. Uh, no, I can't remember the name. Snake City?
0: Oh yeah, the, that, the
2: couple in South Africa, and yeah. they they have the same type of business. But well, I guess I like yeah. Let's. My I'm view wondering. is so. I mean, I'm. It's TV, so I'm no. It's not like 100 real. But in my yeah. head, I'm like, wow, that seems so exciting, and like yeah. I don't know. It's probably it not fun. that exciting.
0: It was a lot of fun actually, but uh, it's a lot of work, and you meet some crazy people, absolutely bonkers. So.
1: <laughs> so when the when the snake guy is the normal one, that's an issue. Yeah, it is,
0: and it. <laughs> Happened 50% of the time. I was the normal one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> How does that happen? That...
0: <laughs> People are nuts, man. That's why I work with animals.
1: <laughs> now, what is, I mean, I'm just thinking of like going back, say, the 90s or something. I mean, Cuba must have been closed. I mean, did you go to mainland Cuba or were you an island? No, off I was in Guantanamo. Guantanamo, Guantanamo. Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, you
0: know, we've had the naval station there. It was the first overseas base was Guantanamo. And, uh, you know, it's like Camp Pendleton is to San Diego. You know, naval bases are typically big preserves. And right. a lot of research happens on them because they're these areas that can't be built on and they're hundreds of square acres or even square miles. And uh, they only use certain fractions of it. So a lot of the bases have very good natural history. So um, when we started with rock iguanas, we knew the Cuban iguana was the most stable of the 16 rock iguanas. So we wanted to use that one as a model. Um, and pretty much the only place we could do it was Guantanamo, but it, it actually turned out to be really nice. Cause you know, it's like a small Southern town in the Caribbean. We could stay at the, <laughs> you know, we could stay at their quarters and there's food and there's a McDonald's and, you know, but I could dive and fish in the Caribbean at the same time. And, uh, there's a lot of herps just on that 20 square miles there's about 35 taxa um so i made a cool little cuban field herping guide to guantanamo bay and saw a lot of cool stuff but um about probably 12 years ago i got to go to havana uh, for a meeting so media and researchers are allowed to go to cuba and you know it's not the cubans it's us it's our government still screwing over this poor little caribbean nation and uh, so I was able to go and I fell in love with it. And um, I went again a few years ago. I, I led actually a tour uh, through work, um, kind of when Obama opened things up a little bit. Um, and it was awesome. And then uh, I went again a couple of years ago for work and so I made some contacts and met a lot of really cool people and herpetologists over there. So now um, I'm actually running field herping tours to Cuba And uh, we did our first one in October, and it was wildly successful. We saw about 70 species, you know, Cuban boas, cameleolas, all the weird little tropodophus, and millions of anoles and frogs. So that's kind of my new thing I'm doing, Uh, Cuban field herping tours. Go look at cubirds.org. We have a trip in June, and we have another one in October this year. So space is limited, so jump on board and come see some awesome stuff before – United States ruins that little country.
2: What <laughs> sp- special niche, like thing you got into. I feel like yeah. you fall into these very specialized things. Well,
1: um, and I mean it seems like you must have a lot of experience with getting around in foreign countries
0: just before. I you must have been traveling for so long. Yeah, yeah, you get used to it. And, you know, Americans are funny. Um, we're the only country in the world that's like that. You know, they just, we're scared of everybody where we think everywhere is diseased and you're going to die and everybody wants to kill you or kidnap you. And you're going to get eaten by wild animals. And it's just, it's weird. It's just, I don't get it. Cause the, the Cubans, especially are like the nicest people on earth Just so cool. And they want us there and they want to show you around and, you know, and, and I mean, even Mexico, Mexico is awesome. Uh, you know, it can be hairy and dangerous in certain places, but, you know, Baja, which is just south of me, is fine. I mean, we hurt there all the time. Um, but I guess, you know, if Americans are scared to go places, it's more for me. <laughs> That's how it works.
2: <laughs> I have a feeling that you know, the Americans that are scared are not doing the same kind uh, type of things in Mexico that like you're doing in That's
0: Mexico. <laughs>
1: that
0: is very true. Um, and, yeah, I mean. But I mean they're going to cities and towns and yeah, there's kind of a danger element there, depending on where you're going. But I mean, have you noticed that? I mean, Americans seem like they're just so scared to go places. Yeah.
2: T- and I'm totally part of the I don't know the problem. Yeah. I was literally just talking to someone the other day about how much I want to go to Brazil for carnival, but then I was like, But Brazil sounds scary. Everyone tells all the bad things that happen
0: in Brazil. Yeah. I mean, the worst part is being in the cities and, you know, I don't like going to cities. So typically when I land somewhere, I'm out of the city as soon as I can and into the bush. Um, But, you know, it's fun. It's culture and go see stuff. But it very much depends on where you're going. Like Havana is awesome. Havana is the coolest city in the world and it's safe and it's awesome and food's fantastic. But, you know, you go to, geez, I don't know, Indonesia or you know, Brazil or places like that. Yeah, I mean, Mexico City's no hayride. (laughs) So you just gotta watch. I guess it depends on the place, but I I think we overdo it on the fear, so. So what are we talking as far as
1: like these trips go? um, How long are typically the trips? What are the amenities like, stuff like that? for the Cuba ones that I'm running or everywhere? Yeah, we, we can talk about that specifically.
0: Yeah, uh, Cuba, we have 10 day trips. Um, it's all inclusive um, and we go to several places. We go to about four or five different locations in Western Cuba, um, up into the mountains, down in the flats, on the reef. We dive, uh, we eat a lot. That's the only complaint we've ever had is too much food. Uh, I think we had lobster five times on the last trip
2: Oh yeah, Uh, they they love to
0: feed you in Cuba. You see some amazing stuff. We typically hike in the morning, and then we wait out the heat of the day when nothing's out, or we go dive or swim, snorkel on the reef, and then we go night hike, and you see some really cool stuff there. And it's stuff nobody sees because nobody gets to go to Cuba. So yeah, it's it's an awesome place, and you know we're the first ones to ever lead herping tours there. So it's it's time because if we open that up again, I was there when Obama kind of opened it a little bit and like eased up on the restrictions. And man, there are Americans everywhere crawling all over that place. And then on the October trip, once things close down again, there's nobody there. So, yeah, that's my big fear is if it does get open, we're going to kind of trash the place.
2: So did you have to go through a lot of hoops to get something like this started?
0: Uh, No, I actually aligned myself with the proper people who have been doing uh, birding trips there for about 20 years legally with State Department permits. Uh, My friend Gary, he has the Caribbean Conservation Trust. And uh, I approached him and said, hey man, let's add herbs, I'll run them. You know, I'll be your guide, we'll use Luis, who's uh, the herpetologist at the National nat- National uh, Museum of Natural History in Havana. Luis is fantastic, amazing herper and birder and everything else in Cuba. So, yeah, a couple times a year, me and Luis hook up and bring a bunch of Americans out into the bush. See, what's weird is that
1: the depiction that we have of Cuba when it was closed down is it's closed down because, like, Castro's there and it's dangerous, and we don't like them, and if you go there, there'll be trouble. and it right. seems like you couldn't just get super work and go look at a bird like it seems like you would need something better <laughs> yeah. to do than just look at a bird to get
0: <laughs> right no I mean it, it's us, it's our country I mean we we have the restrictions on them, and we have since the Cuban Missile Crisis in the '60s, and they want us there. They want us to come and they're very cool and they're very nice. And, you know, now that Fidel's gone, what's the problem? I mean, we're friends with China and North Korea and Russia and Vietnam. And we're friends with all these other countries that we've been in massive ugly battles with. But this little tiny Caribbean nation, we're still going to, you know, stick it to them as hard as we can. And it's it sucks. So hopefully things calm down and, you know, everybody can be friends and visit. Because it, it it really is a wonderful place. It's one of my favorite places in the world.
1: Yeah, it seems that way. Especially if you plan to do it like on a recurring basis. Oh, yeah. I mean, are you planning on
0: doing other places as well? No, I mean, right now it's just Cuba. I mean, I, I go to enough places on my own that I don't feel like dragging people there. <laughs> but uh, but now Cuba's it's it kind of just happened. You know, I've been talking about it for several years. And uh, we met up with Carrie and we're like, hey, let's give it a shot. So we, we've just done the one. Well, I did a different one through a different group. But um, our first one was October. And, yeah, everybody loved it. Absolutely loved it. That's awesome. So, so are you,
1: there no, any – what are you going to say? Because I'm going to switch subjects. Uh,
2: do people so. ever come to – uh, San Diego, like, and just message you, be me like, "Hey, can you take me out and show now me?" Now people
1: in? will
0: if you give if they give <laughs> you know, them that no, idea, give them the idea. <laughs> now that's happened for years, years and years. I think I have four messages waiting on Facebook right now from herpers. coming to San Diego. Yeah, you, you hear yeah. that a lot. So All you right. have your
2: own little side gig there yeah. doing it. Nah,
0: no, you know, I mean, if I can, good friends, I'll take out. Like I said, but you know, people just randomly come and you know, I'll help them out. Tell them where they can go and what the best time is because we can herp you around here so uh you know it's just depends on what you see when yeah now i was going nope. oh, last, one, last going. one
2: i'm sorry back to cuba in uh-huh. the chat they're talking about something called a banana rat uh-huh. and i'm very confused what
0: this that's the american name uh, and they call them that on guantanamo it's it's a hutia And uh, it's a large rodent, like big, like R-O-U-S-s. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a big rat, um, but they're fantastic animals. They're really, really cool. And there's a number of species in Cuba. On Guantanamo, they're really, really common because they don't get eaten there. Um, So there's just thousands of them, and the Navy boys all call them banana rats. Why are the (laughs) banana rats so stupid? It's like they're not stupid. They just don't hear well. So... Um, but in mainland Cuba, they're not real, real easy to see. It depends where you go. Um, we saw the arboreal one on our October trip, which is really cool. But yeah, they're kind of you know what a nutria is. And I was ones.
2: just about to ask: Are they just, anything similar? Yeah, it's similar to
0: that, but they're not water based. They're they're land dwelling. She's and, from Louisiana. She's very. I
2: know about nutria. There you go.
0: Yeah. Um, on uh, there and they're on other islands like in Jamaica. They call them the coney. And they're very endangered in Jamaica. And it's usually because people eat them.
2: Hmm. Have you eaten it?
0: <laughs> I have not eaten a hutia. I couldn't. They're too cool. I like them. So at our at our study site in Cuba where the iguanas were, it was on all these cliffs and there was a lot of caves under And in the heat of the day, I'd go down in the caves and I'd just sit really still and the hutia family would come by. And I'd just sit and watch their behavior. And um, they're matriarchal, so the mom kind of, you know, Runs the show and there's a bunch of different babies and uh oh, so much fun, great animals. So yeah, after seeing yeah. that, I can't go eat one. <laughs> Understandable.
1: You're not sold yet about. I, mean, like I still
2: want to eat it. I can't but eat. Not because it. I find That's... it attractive or <laughs> in any form. They are cute. I mean,
0: you know, people don't like rodents because of the tail, and hutias uh, don't really have that tail. <laughs>
2: Okay, <laughs> <Yeah>, we <with> that.
1: <laughs> they are kind of cuter than your average rat, though. They're cuter know, than your yeah. average pictures
0: yeah, on, on Facebook. There's pictures in my cube albums of them. Yeah, I you'll we'll see got- how friendly they are. We're petting them and everything. There's, there's People keep them as pets. So we met a pet one. What? Well, people that's keep Look on Dick Bartlett's page. He has pictures of him and his wife with who he is too. That's amazing. Yeah, they're fun.
2: I'm OK. I'm OK. Um, but interesting. So are they I mean, are they all over Cuba? You said not as much on the mainland. Mostly yeah, they're the
0: widespread. Island. I mean, they, they come from all over Cuba, but there's I think there's seven or eight species of them. Uh, there's only one species on Guantanamo and they're they're thick there. I mean, they're because like, again, they don't get eaten and they don't have a lot of predators because of the people. Um, but in the rest of Cuba, they get eaten. So you don't see tons of them unless you're way out in the bush. Yeah, so Evan in the chat was
1: asking, I mean, have you had any interactions? I'm not sure of where they are locality-wise in Cuba, but
0: with uh, Cuban crocs? They're only in two spots in Cuba, and they're very, very rare. Um, They get poached a lot. Um, There is a breeding program, and a lot of the US zoos are involved with it, uh, breeding and head start and release. So on our trips, we do go to the crocodile farm, that that takes place at, so you get to see them up close. Um, at Zapata Swamp, we do try to see them, but, you know, they're very smart. You know, crocs are smart animals, and they stay away from people because they're getting hunted, so it's very difficult. We did see an escaped one in the swamp that probably came from the farm, they said, but they weren't sure, so there's a possibility we saw a wild one because they do they do come to the wild ones. The The farm is in Zapata Swamp. The farm's right on the edge of the swamp. So in the breeding season, the wild ones come to the farm oh, and they all the females.
2: Right. So
0: they said, "Ah, eh, if you want to see them, that's the easiest way. But I don't know. There's so much cool stuff in Cuba. We see the American crocs when we're there. Um, and we do have a shot at Cuban crocs. So come and try.
2: So there's so <laughs> much Cuba.
0: Cuba's awesome, right. man. Cuba rules. I love that place. We see Cuban iguanas, Cuban boas. Uh, we've seen three species of dwarf boas on the last trip. We saw the Tropidophis bivici, which is the black and white banded one. Looks like a California king snake, a little dwarf boa. Absolutely beautiful. We see at least two species of the false chameleons, the big chameleolus. See tons of anoles, giant water anoles, racers, a lot of a lot of cool stuff, and a lot of really neat birds. Awesome. So.
2: Okay, now we
1: can leave Cuba. I'm done with (laughs) the Cuba
2: questions.
1: Now you kind of made me forget what I was going to ask. Oh, I'm sorry. Way to go. I mean, we can always ask more Cuba questions.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to leave it, but... Oh, of course, Evan, our dart frog master asked if there's any dart frogs in Cuba.
0: Um, There's a a species which is similar, and the name escapes me. But there is a toxic species that looks similar. It's not a dendrobatid, but uh, yeah, there's one little one, but there's just a billion different types of authoactylus. There's a giant autthdactylus that we see on our trips. It's like that big Aleutthodactyllus zeus. Um, but yeah, a lot of really a, a lot of the aleutrdactylus, the rain frogs are you know little brown things. Some of them have some colorful marks, but um yeah, there's a lot of Cuban tree frogs those are toxic <laughs> but now a lot of cool stuff. So much cool stuff. I'm still trying to ID half of it. Now, have you had any less than spectacular field experiences or countries traveled to? Um, you know, I got to say, I've been pretty lucky. I was pretty sick in Indonesia with a respiratory thing when I went to Komodo and Rincha and, you know, living on a deck of a boat for, <clears throat> for five days. Um, But, no, I mean, you can get some boony rot. You can – plants get me more than anything. Plants hate me. And it's funny because I I raise cactus and succulents. I have thousands of them. And every country I go to, it's the plants that ruin me. You know, you get leeches and ticks and bug bites and stuff like that. But, no, no worries. Nothing to worry about.
2: So I mean, your interests. I feel like if you gotta fill out something, you just need to put in nature, because it's just literally everything—like uh, plants, is. birds, bugs, rats, everything—is like your. It interest. is. I mean,
0: it's it, when you go to a, a new country, you know, you're not just, you know, well, a lot of people are just looking at reptiles, but I mean, you see a Cuban trogon or a, you know, a wedge-tailed eagle in Australia or a koala when you're road hunting, and one runs across the road or. In Costa Rica, we just saw an awesome lot. I mean, how do you not look at that and just be like, that's awesome? <laughs> some of the crazy bugs in Peru and you know, there's just too much cool stuff out there to focus on herbs.
1: Is there I mean, is there one place to tell someone who's never gone on a herping trip? I mean, what do you do as someone who wants to herp internationally? I mean, what's a good place to
0: start? Um, a lot of people start in Costa Rica um and that was one of my first trips 25 years ago and it's because it's easy i mean there's infrastructure and a lot of people speak english um (coughs) the water's pretty decent uh the food's good and you can see a lot really easy um so yeah a lot of people start in costa rica and kind of work their way up to more hardcore um and if you go to costa rica you can go see ketzel dwyer at reptilandia because ketzel's awesome and it's park is amazing. Some seriously cool herbs. Um, and then after that, a lot of people kind of go to Peru. Uh, you could go with Dante Fenolio on his Green Tracks trips or um, Mike Pingleton and Matt Cage lead trips to Peru also. And I've done my own trip to Peru and it was amazing. You see just a bazillion different herbs um, and it's relatively safe, pretty easy. So, or you can come to Cuba with me and herp in luxury and yeah, eat lobster yeah. and go scuba diving. Plug,
1: plug. <laughs> plug, plug. <laughs> even more glamorous, though, than sleeping in
0: a tent somewhere So good. I mean, you should see like, some of the places we stay, man. It's ridiculous.
2: Sounds like something, I don't know, a herp trip I'm, like, mildly it's interested a decent, in.
1: Like, it's probably a good value because, I mean, Cuba's really it's not Cuba. that far away.
0: Well, you can't go unless you go on my trip.
2: Right. <laughs>
0: oh, legally. See, if you go on my trip, you can have your passport stamped with Cuba. Mm-hmm. If you go on, oh, Ohio, so that's just like do a collector's. Yeah.
1: You have a yeah. big uh, advantage. We're speaking to all the other folks that have the other 111 countries or whatever. You got we're an
2: right. upper hand. 100%. That's right.
0: It's pretty awesome. <laughs> that is. And you get to see cool cars. I mean, you can spend days just photographing awesome cars
1: yeah oh, is it true it's, that every car is from
0: yeah yeah god so it's the first time i went there i spent like two days photographing cars just amazing cool 50s and 60s cars and they just somehow keep them running year after year amazing mechanics they just make their own parts i've seen boat engines in cars that work whoa that is wild amazing <laughs>
1: Now I forgot where I was going. (laughs) So Costa Costa Rica, Peru, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Obviously, one of the things that, I mean, a lot of listeners of this show, obviously Corrales, but in particular, Amazon or uh, Emerald Tree Boas and Amazon Mm -hmm. Tree Boas. So what are your experiences? Especially, I mean, obviously, everyone saw that picture of you on Facebook with the giant Emerald with the giant lump in it. So what are your run-ins with Corrales in the wild?
0: Um, well, the Amazon tree boas are dirt common. I mean, that's the easiest thing to find. They're just everywhere. And you pick them up with eye shine, like you do amphibians or geckos. And I mean, you can see the things half a mile away when you're cruising down the river at night. So they're pretty basic. Um, emeralds, tough, man. That's a tough one. I think Dick Bartlett went for 20 years without seeing one. And everybody says that they're just very, you know, they're in the canopy and they're they blend in. And um, I got one my very first trip. It was total luck. Um, I had all my clients out on a little ponga. You know, we stayed on a big riverboat and we'd go out in pongas at night and, and herp and look in wildlife view. And we are under this kind of overhang of canopy that went up, you know, hundreds of feet. But we we're on the river still on a boat and we we're watching a kinkajou and you know everybody's watching that so I'm scanning the bushes and I just caught that white triangle and it was about I don't know 30 feet up and I zoomed back on it real quick and I just it was one of those moments where you're like oh my god and I said everybody shine your light and everybody shined I said look at that and everybody freaked out and um these were older folks that went on this trip so we brought them back to the boat at like seven and me and the Peruvian guides went back with like 15 bamboo sticks <laughs> and taped them all together. I'm like, I am seeing that snake. And um, I tapped her once with like 10 poles taped together with duct tape. I tapped her once and instead of going up, she started coming down. And it was basically, she came right down to her. I could just lift her right off the tree. It was unbelievable, nasty thing, but, <laughs> but it was really cool. I, I surprised everybody with it the next morning at breakfast, and then brought it back out. Really cool. Amazing. What? Yeah, it was amazing. Probably one of my top field ripping experiences. And then in Costa Rica, we just went and saw the uh, black-tailed uh, tree boas, Rüschenbergia, yeah, and that was really cool. Same sort of way, out in the mangroves, spotlight in the mangroves at night, saw a couple of them. That's pretty cool. They're really mellow. You, know, you hold them; they don't strike or anything. They're really cool. Yeah
1: yeah i think i've i've heard sim uh similar things because so we were talking to ian less or mm-hmm. just a couple days ago and he has some um, i believe and that was yeah. just yeah he says that they're calmer even in captivity as well so really? wow so That's i huge. mean and it's so out of character for all the other corrales yeah.
0: well it's the opposite in cuban boas you know everybody who keeps cuban boas in captivity is like ah they're vile you know they're face fighters i studied them for a bit radio tracked them and like one they're way bigger than anybody thinks they are you know they think a seven foot one here is big i mean we're catching them 13 14 feet that eat hutias and they're this big around and they're the most calm docile snakes in the world i've never had one strike at me you know you hang them around your neck and take pictures of these big massive ones and they just totally calm
1: Wow. So it seems like, I mean, the last thing you would do for a boa in captivity, at least for most boa keepers would be feed it a lot and yeah. stuff like that. Like people tend to keep their animals lean. So, I mean, mm-hmm. those animals are oh, huge. huge. Anything close to that. Is that
0: just, I mean, the abundance of rats around? Yeah. I mean, and they, they'll eat iguanas. Um, and so they start out young, you know, eating whatever they can get a hold of, but once they kind of reach that stage, where they can eat a small iguana or a small hutia, that's kind of where they get really big. If they can reach that stage and, and comfortably take down an iguana or hutia, then they're gonna get big, and, and they do. It's like hog island boas, are the same. You know, the first time I went there, you know, they're like this big, like a rosy boa. I'm all these things are ridiculous. This, what are they, having all their babies right now? I was like, those are the breeders, man, those are adults. I'm like, really? <laughs> And then you go to another island and they're six feet long i'm all no, how is that the same breeder as that one he goes because on this island they can eat the iguanas Mm he said they reach a stage where they can eat the dinosaurs and then they get big so it's all food based oh wow so from island to island they'll be stirring
1: you know, yeah, iguanas and and yeah. then I mean, are those other islands? I mean, I've heard of them surviving off of like migrating birds, so they only yeah. feed like a certain couple
0: months out of the year. Right, right. And they gorge, exactly. and they starve. Yeah, basically, like tiger snakes in Tasmania. You know, they eat all the mutton birds and are not. Is it Tasmania? Ah, some of the keys off Tasmania and some of those. Reevesby uh, Reevesby island tiger snakes and all those yeah, they just eat the seabird chicks for part of the year and that's it That's all they get, but it's cold there So you think the metabolism thing is is keeping it at bay, but in the tropics. Yeah, it's kind of weird
1: And I mean in that area so obviously you've been in that area as far as to find hog island boas and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. I mean there's really a giant jump between all the species between the islands I mean obviously there's so many different kinds of boas i mean locality boa guys are crazy with all. oh yeah they're different
0: different. they're like rosy boas they're different everywhere you go i mean and but yeah and cascachinas and the hog islands there's they do look different on the few islands there some are smaller some are bigger but you'll find the little breeders and the bigger ones on the same island too weird yeah i had a a buddy who was studying them that's kind of i got the insight from him Options. So
2: are you traveling most of the year?
0: No, not anymore. Um, okay. Back in the day, yeah, I was gone like eight months a year. But when you're married and expecting kids, that doesn't go real far for your relationship. So then uh, <laughs> you get burned out. I mean, I spent 20 years doing the Caribbean just constantly. I was like, oh, I don't even want to go. And you're just exhausted. And so that's kind of nice, you know, big break. But now that the kids are older, now we're starting to do a lot more, you know, international stuff.
1: So, as someone with a person who's not necessarily totally into reptiles and down for all this, I stuff. I like how
2: you sugarcoated that.
1: Yeah, um, I'm honest uh, with it.
2: We, I mean, how knows. does your wife
1: feel about your obsession,
0: or is, does well, she? We talk have her about her own she stuff? takes
2: care of the monitors and stuff. Uh, yeah, that's like yeah, great. Be into <clears it. throat>
0: well, I've known my wife my entire life. So our moms knew we were friends when they were pregnant with us. And then we're in the same grade school, everything. We've known each other forever. So Definitely she's known better. since I was seven years old that I was a herp freak. Um, so when we, you know, got together and everything and she, she dug it, you know, she went to Costa Rica on that first trip with me when we were like 20 and uh, she loved it and she knew, yeah, there was going to be herping. And just you know, she's been around it her whole life. And when when we lived in Australia, she worked at the zoo too, at Australia Zoo. Um, she wasn't a keeper, but she got to play with an awful lot of animals. And uh, I mean, she caught lace monitors, she tailed king brown. She she went wow. pretty hardcore. She's in it. <laughs> yeah, but now, she's but she's not like what I would ever call a herper. She, although when we're at the Pomona show, my son texted me and said, "Mom's taking us herping tonight," so.
2: Wow, yeah,
0: so that was kind of huge, even for me, but no, I would not call her like a hurt person at all.
2: Did she work at a zoo in San Diego too?
0: No, no she's a she's an accounting person. so she's interesting yeah and and the arts. she was a dancer and everything, so she's far from the animal thing. She likes animals, but she likes mammals, puppies. That's why that puppy is sleeping behind me that was her gig. (laughs) So yeah, she's good. There's good people that aren't herpers, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes we
1: get, I mean, there's only so many people you can associate with. So I want to hang out with all the herpers and always meet new herpers. And then I need to hang out with like a hundred snakes and that's just, (laughs) you know, there's not much you can do after that
0: as far as normal people there's just it kind of consumes our whole life that's the problem herpers aren't normal people you have to hang out with normal people and then herpers like you have your two sets of friends right all of us do and my closest friends are non-herpers and then i have my herp buddies and my herp acquaintances you never mix the two groups ever (laughs) that's just that's a huge problem and i've tried it it just doesn't work you know 'Cause the herp people just want to talk herp the whole time. The non herp people are like, You guys are freaks, just stay away. So but my other problem is I have a million different interests. So uh, I can't just no, have the herp no, friends. Right. Have a couple. Right. A bit. So surfing and fishing, I have all those friends too. And scuba diving and you know, mountaineering and all that stuff. So you have to you have to spread it out some. You can't just have herb friends. Do you try to fish like everywhere you go?
1: Yes. So it goes just along with the herping here. I feel
0: like
2: you need like seven different trips. I you, do. You or you trip. just
0: need to not you be able to sleep. You need your need photography trip.
2: trip. Right. You need your bird
0: trip. The like, photography <laughs> comes with all of it. You know, the fishing and the sure. herping and the mountains. and. But uh, no, I mean, it depends. It depends. If the whole family's there, I got to tone down the herping and do other things. And you know, there's fishing and diving and, you know, whatever else, artsy stuff you know i do have some culture so i do like to go (laughs) see cultured things from time to time um yeah it just depends where we're going and what it's all about surfing if it's a good surf spot yeah so
1: So have you i mean have you been in this despite living in australia i mean have you been in san diego almost your whole life otherwise yeah
0: yeah i was born in san diego and uh my dad was the problem there, though, because he always wanted to be closer to the mountains. Cause, so his obsession is mountains, like ours is herping. He's all about mountains and hiking and getting to the next peak. So we moved a couple times out of San Diego just so he could chase the closest mountain range. So I had to live in uh, Bakersfield, California for a little bit, um, which if you've been through there is, is uh very non-Californian sort of place um, in this yeah you, you don't hear a lot of good things but it was cool because we were close to the Sierra Nevadas and I was close to the Mojave Desert so it actually turned out to be really good for herping and for bass fishing um, and I only had to live there five years so it wasn't awful um, and then we also lived in Utah when I was really young so
1: what is your favorite place in the US I mean besides San Diego to, to go herp because I mean, obviously, Utah's an awesome place, but... Yeah, yeah. Utah's awesome. We
0: didn't hurt there, though. I mean, I was too young. We just didn't... Yeah, I, I don't remember a lot of Utah, but I like Arizona and New Mexico. That's probably some of my favorite herping. For the rattlesnakes or just the diversity? Yeah, yeah I, like, I like my rattlesnakes, but there's a lot of diversity and cool stuff. You get a lot of the Mexican influence coming up, so you get a lot of you know vine snakes, things like that. Um. And <laughs> other parts of California. I mean, there's so much in California. Up north is a whole different ballgame than it is down here. So it's cool. And yeah, I've hurt, I've heard a lot of the U.S. There's a lot of cool places. Southern Illinois is a total blast. I love going to Snake Road. Um, Florida is kind of cool if you can handle the people um i'm gonna get some crap for that (laughs) oh we all know Um, florida's backwards yeah
2: we have people we like there but that's an american fact
0: yeah yeah um where else i mean there's you can find stuff anywhere i mean i just like cruising around seeing what i can find
2: i mean i think you would enjoy any place you go you seem to
0: be a person who will find you know Yeah, I mean, that's you have to, right? Why go somewhere and then not enjoy yourself? That's just not fun. So, yeah, Alaska's awesome. Even though there's one wood frog there, it's still amazing. (laughs) Go photograph bears and fish salmon and, you know, there's cool stuff everywhere.
1: Yeah. So what is something that, I mean, because I try to always preach, because we can find what we like kind of in our backyard sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what can everyone do to kind of get out there and try to find herbs or like it's hard to find a local group of people kind of dedicated to herbs, now that we don't have like many herb societies or anything like that
0: yeah, i mean it's it's changed a lot in just the last ten years, even you know when we made nafa, you know I, I founded the North American Field herping Association when we with a lot of other people um, when we started that, that was kind of. Like this weird mixture of herp society, but all field herpers and everybody who wanted to help and do conservation and you know take data and you know turn that data over to the to the people that would do something with it. So you know we kind of went that way. Um, and even though the database still lives on and people are still doing it, everybody kind of just does it on their own now. We don't have big group outings, um, but a lot of people don't like to herp in groups. Um, you know they call us snobby or whatever but uh for me it's damaging the habitat i I just don't like to see coastal sage get trampled with 15 people um i kind of enjoy herping in a group because i like talking to people and hanging out but um i mean for the most part just find a few people and go do it on your own don't wait for the big group i mean you can find herps anywhere it's so easy i mean i tell people it's so easy to herp i mean it's you'll learn it too, which species are out when, and just the thing is being out there. You know, people think I'm a freak because of the albinos I've seen in the wild. And it's like, yeah, I'm out there every single day. If you did that, you would find albinos too. So, Well, let's probe what albinos <laughs> have you found in the wild. <laughs> <man>. um, <laughs> you
1: know,
0: um, I found, uh, the first one was a, a large blotch salamander, about eight years ago or so um, the second one was an albino glossy snake the third one was probably the albino shovel nose snake the fourth one was uh, through Nate Smith was uh, he actually found them I, I don't get credit for that those were albino western spadefoots but there's so many of them it was really cool wow there was a whole whole clutch of them it's crazy wow. And then the just recently me and my son found another albino large blotch salamander. So, yeah, four or five, whatever. But uh, everybody says, oh, you're such a freak. It's like, no, man, I'm out there every single day. And albino herps don't seem to be that rare because you see a lot of different photos of albino herps. So, I mean, do you see and you're going to go see one if you go herping, you know, today or tomorrow. But, but the chances are better if you're out there. Do you see other seemingly, you know, genetic mutations and stuff like that yeah. when you're out? Oh yeah, I see all kinds of weird stuff. You see a lot of striping, and I found a few piebald animals and uh, just weird patterns. It's cool stuff. I so like seeing It's be so
2: hard for me not to be like, "Ooh, I want to take that home." You right. know, like when you see that one crazy, interesting thing. Right. Like,
0: I, I, I hear it. that. I hear that a lot, and it's just, I mean. I've seen so much stuff out there that you just don't even think about it. You know, like I get the Australia one all the time. Like, oh, man, it's yeah. so rad. You've seen everything. How did you not put it in your bag and take it home? It's like, right. honestly, the thought never crossed my mind ever. It's just, it's just not what I do. I mean, it's not me.
2: Sorry to be predictable with my question. <laughs> no,
0: you're not
1: what do you feel i mean about the morph craze and reptiles i mean you were there
0: you know before the morph craze yeah i mean i i understand it because there are some beautiful you know albinos and stuff i don't get it when it comes to you know how somebody can charge ten thousand dollars for a certain snake species because it has this color on this scale um that's just out of hand and lame to me (laughs) <laughs> um and that's kind of what's driving me away from herpeticulture cuz i am being driven out of it um of my own accord just cuz i just don't like what i see anymore it's just greed and people backstabbing and constant shit talking and and yeah it, just that stuff and ridiculous prices you know 10 grand for a ball python and Trading your Corvette to get a snake, and that just that just gets away from everything I got into herpetology for. So I'm kind of holding it at arm's length for now, and <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I understand. You just gotta so,
1: not look at Facebook book and talk to like right. cool. Your few cool
0: people face to face. That's what it's all about. And that's the other thing, you know, and it's and I mean you've probably heard it a thousand times, but when you get these people who know they're never gonna see you in person and just go after you on Facebook or whatever platform they're on, it's it's just stupid. It's just like, why am I doing this? You know, this is just annoying. And I mean, there's people I even know that'll do that. And it's like you know, There's people just, that I like in person. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you know I'm gonna see you pretty soon. Why why are you even doing that? That's just stupid. And <laughs> so that's just I don't know. I'm sure I'm gonna get a lot of heat for saying something like that, but unfortunately no. that's what I do is I say exactly what I think. And it gets me in trouble sometimes and oh well.
2: <laughs> so you still know you go to a lot of the shows in your area, even though I, you know
0: I did. You step I did go to a lot of shows um, and that's just because I had a lot of monitors uh, because I was producing quite a few here in the last few years and it's just, I hate shipping animals uh, so the show is just the easy way and the other thing is you know, Al, Alec Feldman, reptiles, Al's one of my best friends, we went to high school together and he owns DIY cages which is awesome by the way, check them out. Um, so he would have shows or booths at every show down here in Southern California. So he just started giving me a little space on the booth if I'd go help him, you know, set up and, you know, move cages and stuff. Uh, so I started, <coughs> excuse me, damn cold. Um, so yeah, so I just started going to the shows with him and then it kind of became more of a weekend getaway, get away from the kids. Cause I'll ask kids to go drink some beers with the guys sort of thing. So that's kind of more what it is now, and not so much and I mean, we don't even go to the auctions or anything. We just hang out with our buddies in the room and have beers and relax and watch football. Um, so yeah, we just did Pomona, but that was our first show in over a year. So, and I've had enough for a while.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's if you're gonna have one show for yeah, a year, that's a good one the, to one do. Show, the one to do it.
0: <laughs> that is the one to do, and I don't get that at all. Pomona's not a nice place, and it's in the middle of nowhere. And but it's, I guess, it's central for the LA and San Diego people. So I guess that's why it works. So yeah, it's fun. Now, I feel like there used to be a little bit
1: more of a connection between the private hobby and like zoological and academia and that kind of stuff. I mean, do you see that slowly? I mean, is it getting worse as far as the divide between? It's those? never. It's not.
0: Ne- they've never been together ever. And it's funny because, you know, so you got zoo people, you've got academics, you've got field herpers, and then you have private breeders. The four groups have never mingled. I mean, I mean, they do to an extent, but they've never been like, hang out, let's hang out. You know, it's not, you can never get the four groups together at anything. Field herpers and private breeders, yeah. Zoo guys and academics, yeah. Um, you're seeing a lot more field herpers with academia now, uh, like Jason and the guys down in Mexico at HerpMx. Um, you know, they're doing a lot of cool publications and a lot of new discoveries. So they're getting it written up and doing it how it should be done, which is really, really cool. Um, it's funny cause you know, I'm all four groups. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> they just don't intermingle much. It's really <laughs> weird. Um, Things like IH, IHS is probably the best, uh, I guess, symposium series that intermingles the four groups really well together. Um, but other than that, you just, everybody has their own meetings. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, her, what is it? The Herpon?
0: Herpeton, 12? yeah. That, that's going to be similar to IHS. So there's going to be.
2: There we go. Let's put that plug in there.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of breeders, I think, from what I've seen so far, um, and some field herpers. I haven't seen a lot of academic stuff in there yet, but here's hoping.
1: Yeah, what so, do you know? Why it's in like San Diego, or did you? When did you hear about it?
0: Uh, because Philippe and Alan both live in San Diego, so that's and and it's going to be in June, which is prime herping time. Um, so, yeah, we should give it, a little
2: yeah. background. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So I also think um, I want to say there's a herp show around then too. The San Diego herp show might be around then. I don't that know. makes sense. Uh, yeah. But I mean, San Diego in June. Who wouldn't want to be here? Come on. Right.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you haven't heard Herpeton Legends Herpeto herpetocultural Conference, <laughs> we're
0: doing bad at
1: topic,
2: Don't care. Herpeton is an, an- annual herp Herbiculture Conference held in San Diego. This inaugural event is the week of June 6th through 9th, 2019 at the Courtyard Marriott, San Diego.
1: And you can hear Jeff speak.
0: Yes. Oh, you know. didn't have
1: of speaking for two hours.
0: Or,
1: uh, so yeah, do, wonder, you, not, yeah. do you have a subject for, for your talk there?
0: Um, yeah, they want me to cover field herping, so I'll, I'll do uh, San Diego herping. So lots Lots of of photos, lots and lots of photos of San Diego herping.
1: And you said that your son is speaking also?
0: Yeah, my son Matty, Matthias, sorry, he's in high school now. He doesn't go by Matty anymore. Um, (laughs) Matthias Lem, yeah, he's actually speaking. They asked him to do like a herping with legends uh, thing because... He's, he kind of knows all the guys and uh, you know, he's
2: 16 and got to hurt with got, Mark O'Shea
0: no big and Mark and he knows Philippe and Dante and he knows a lot of big big dudes so he's herped with Frank Reedus and just a lot of different people in the field so he's gonna give kind of a little slideshow talk on herping with legends and in the eyes of a a kid yeah kind of cool. No, yeah, it's awesome. photographer, too, so they'll have some pretty good shots.
1: Because it's, I mean, as far as people who like herps, I mean, some, I mean, even yourself, obviously, Philippe, and like, you know, Marco Shea, I mean, those are people who I barely have the balls
0: to talk to over podcast, let <laughs> <by laughs> alone, you know, herp with them. So. Oh, that's funny, though. No, nah, all down-to-earth cool people, and just... And I've never really gotten that that part—the whole herp celebrity weird thing. It's just it's just people who like reptiles. You know, that's what I tell people all the time. Like, oh, Steve Irwin must have been like the craziest. he's just a herper, man. It's just sorry, just um, <laughs> common. You know, it's like ah, the guy that likes reptiles. That's all it is. He doesn't want people all up in his grill wanting autographs and all that. And that's how most of these guys are. They're just Regular guys who want to go harping. I also I think it's fun that there can be
1: a person who's a complete celebrity walk on water in front of a very small select group of people and no one else cares oh, yeah. That's totally how it is too.
0: I don't know. No, Steve was different. different. Yeah, Steve, yeah, it. I mean you're, I mean,
2: you're TV, you're a celebrity. Yeah. But I think I think it's one, it's envy.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Two, it's mixed. It's mixed with like. You have experienced things and you know things that a majority of the world will not know. So that you're not just a regular guy who likes okay. to do stuff. Like you, the experiences you've had make you not. You're not a regular guy. Like, I also don't do. want to
1: like say anything stupid in front of Dave Barker <laughs> or something. You know, he's like, well, that's not
0: right. Yeah, <laughs> Dave. No. Wow. Dave's totally down earth. He's really. That was, that was just a random example. That oh, was, okay. <laughs> No, I mean, and most guys would just laugh. They just, yeah, that's cool, man. No big deal. But maybe it's the mystery.
1: Yeah, uh, I think it's different now a little bit because we can all kind of connect with people a lot more freely. So it used yeah, to be like, totally. it was a person that you knew from You'd never
2: a get to or, talk to, her. or yeah, right. they wrote some book and it's this book that everyone wanted.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's a lot easier to you know go friend, you know somebody and you get accepted and you are like oh my god cool you know <laughs> I, I get that i mean i've done it i was like oh yeah that's awesome that dude friended me that's cool and uh i mean once you talk to anybody they're just they're the same geek you and i are you know it's just mm-hmm. just kind of how it goes <laughs> is there anyone that i
1: mean i know that a lot of times people have mentors and stuff in academia and i guess in the zoological community but i mean who were some of the guys that you Came up with and
0: kind of served as your mentor? Oh, there's been quite a few different ones, actually. When I lived in Bakersfield, um, there was a guy named Al Robbins, and he was really interesting. He was an old guy, an elderly gentleman, and he did uh, the snake shows at all the schools. I remember I first saw Al, Al Robbins, the snake man, when I was in fifth grade, and I was just like, this dude's a legend. And he was a magician, too. <laughs> knew, but no. Check it out the guy knew Harry, knew Harry Houdini. that's how old he was. But um, he did uh, the first venom ductectomies on snakes, which I thought was cool because the first time I met him, he like handed me a Mojave rattlesnake, and I'm Wait, just was like, "What are you doing?" Grade? Yeah, I was in the fifth grade, and, and you know, today we you know shoot the guy for something like that. Right. But back then, I was like, "That's awesome," and uh, he was. He was just like a legend, mostly just in Bakersfield. Um, but it, he he grew on me pretty quick. Um, in San Diego, for herpetoculture, it would be Chris Jackson. Um, he's kind of one of those legendary guys that doesn't like to be out front and know people, although kind of everybody here knows him and a lot of people in the U.S. know him. But Chris taught me a lot of what I know about snake husbandry. Because you know, I go to his house when I was sixteen, and he has eight hundred snakes, and he's just letting me play with whatever I want and teaching me about them and how to breed them. And I mean, that guy was breeding snakes before most American guys, and uh, he's total legend. Still a really good friend of mine today. Um, <coughs> Zoo World, there's just too many to mention. I mean, so many different guys, and and for what I do, it's kind of it's a lot different than. People work in the reptile house, so I didn't have a big zoo mentor. I had research mentors, but for the zoo world, no, because I didn't ever work in the reptile house. You know, I have my own reptile collection, and I do research, and I'm in the field. Um, Academic-wise, Harry Green is a really good friend and a big mentor, legendary writer, if you don't have any of Harry Green's yeah. books. I just bought Tracks and Shadows, and I haven't started it yet. So fantastic book! I mean, one of my favorite books, and you'll go through it in like two days. I did. Uh, Harry's, I Harry's off. I tried to read
1: earlier; it was rough.
2: I need you to uh-huh. take two months. You can stop buying so many like, books. <laughs> <laughs> she gets
1: mad oh, that I like books now. You know? oh, yeah. Oh, David, I've been doing I've that, got that for all my years.
2: Uh-huh. Okay. got enough. She
1: doesn't understand why I have a book
0: yeah yeah talk to my wife talk to my wife she's like what is this why why this giant area of our house dedicated to her books why not that's the answer because there's
2: a thing called the
0: internet and you can there's just something about a print book, though if yeah you have it you but it's and what it, know, is it is. I can print it yeah. out for you.
2: I can print out the pages <laughs> like off the internet laugh. and fold huh. it huh. into a book. Look Does it. that? Will that give you uh, the feeling you desire? See, like this
1: one, this old field book in North American snakes by Raymond Ditmars has yes. these awesome illustrations. <laughs> but it also it <laughs> also has notes. It's someone wrote notes in like 1950 something yeah. all throughout this book. That's and awesome. I'm like, that's fucking cool.
2: I will oh, print yeah, out pages and in, the, in the margins for you.
1: Well, now there's Wikipedia. I could have figured out when Dip Mars
0: was alive on second thought. You could probably find same. every
2: single picture in this not book.
0: No, what it is for me is, you know, because I collect books, I have a bazillion of her books, and it's because I remember being a kid and going through the pages every single day and, you know, reading Carl Caulfield and just those memories—that's what it is. The internet's stupid. I don't like the internet. <laughs> I like being able to hold a book and reading it. It's awesome, and that's why when, uh, when my—I wrote another book on Saint and when that came out, they're like, "Do you want to do it? Uh, sell it digitally as well?" The publisher. I'm like, "Hell no! I want people to buy a hard copy book." They're like, "You sure?" I'm like, "Yeah," but then they did it digitally as well. But I've never <laughs> seen the digital. I don't own it. I don't want it. I want my hard copy Sinclair book. Absolutely, I'm,
1: I'm similar when it comes to herp things. Other other things, I don't I don't yeah. mind. But so, how is it? I mean, what's the process of writing a book? I mean, you obviously have come out with a few. They're not your traditional books per se, Probably. but more,
0: but kind it's, of how is, is it like? It's a labor of love. You don't you don't make money writing natural history books. That's for sure. You make some, but I mean, that's not why you do it um for me i like to write i've always written you know i've I've written a lot of stuff over the years and i like to show my photos and that's an easy way to do it and mix conservation in with it you know the rocky glimmers are one of the most endangered group of lizards in the world they need the attention um there's a lot of people that keep them in captivity um so you know i decided to write a book (coughs) excuse me i decided to write a book putting it all together you know field stuff conservation and husbandry and uh so i did but you know it's fun it's easy for me i mean a lot of people struggled on their books but for me it's kind of easy I, I always know what i want to write um and other reading so many books that's probably why looking at so many books i know the format i like so i was able to just bust it out throw the pics in and i always write it first and then i go to a publisher and so far i'm two for two i'm <laughs> doing that getting picked up so yeah it's fun i
1: enjoy it yeah that's awesome and we get to enjoy the fruits of your labor there you go
2: (laughs) but not digitally
0: not (laughs) on the side it is against my good wishes but
2: so is there someone it's gonna probably be a dumb question but is there someone you haven't met with or connected with that's still alive that you would hope to one day or you feel like you've met all the greats Mm -hmm.
0: No, I mean, there's there's a lot of people. I'm trying to um, think of who. Is it a lot of the overseas guys. David Attenborough is probably one of the biggies because i okay. watched the guy for my entire life. You don't life. know. This you has don't come know. come up now how three times. has be
2: been the last three times. <coughs> you
1: she didn't know legend. who David Attenborough was. Are you me. serious?
2: And I have a <laughs> spot shit. Oh. For the past oh, three weeks, that is so 200. weird how it keeps coming up. Since he mentioned it, it has now come up. I don't even know it came, but like in casual conversation, <laughs> it's like when even... you
1: buy a red Toyota, all of a sudden. So it's you red see Toyota red, like, like you, now. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, no. But it's we David we were
2: talking oh, about on a couple Earth? podcasts a couple weeks ago. We were talking about like dream guests. We'd have one, and Joe said, "You know, David Attenborough." I'm looking at him like. Do I ask who that is? Yeah. Cause I have no idea. That'd be very awkward. And he I got very mad at me and embarrassed <laughs> that I'm his girlfriend and I don't know who that oh. is. But I am not the only one.
1: Not Jane Goodall either. You don't know who she oh. is either. So. But Seriously.
2: I'm not. I'm not the only one. Kill I'm not the only one. It's nah, not like it's
0: babies, splattered yeah. at
2: the beginning of the planet all Those over. Those are two. Is it splattered all over the planet Earth videos?
1: No. But Jeff, if you can get. David Attenborough's contact information. We want to get him on the podcast. Yeah,
0: guy's a legend. I mean, it'd be awesome. That would be awesome. And uh, Jane, too. I mean, the two of those people are just legendary in conservation. So, yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. Herb-wise, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot, so many different legendary herb people. You know, I've met a lot of them. Um, You know, like... uh, uh, geez, I don't know like Whit Gibbons. I've never met. That'd be cool to meet Whit Gibbons. Um, I know
2: who that is
0: <laughs> uh, A herpetologist uh, <clears throat> He's in the Northeast started Park. He's done a ton of stuff research-wise with uh, Eastern Herbs good guy a lot of cool research um, who else? Mm, I don't know There's there's a lot of people Lots of cool people to meet still.
1: I was wondering kind of on the subject of cyclora, obviously there is, they seem to have grown in popularity in the pet trade. I mean, after obviously the green iguana is gone and everything like right. that. But people are starting to like, you know, these big puppy dog, tame cyclora per se. Uh, so how, what do you feel? Do you feel like that helps uh, conservation or what can we do
0: as like the pet trade to help conservation? I mean, uh, it. It, I mean, I think it depends on the people. You know, it helps with conservation if the people are into conservation. I mean, it helps more the pet trade if they're, you know, herpeticulturists usually, or often, not usually, I shouldn't say that, maybe 50-50. Ooh, I want to breed these, make a ton of money. Or, ooh, that's really cool, we should help protect these. It just, it's all about the person. And you know what they believe in um conservation wise i mean there's we have plenty of people doing work in the caribbean and elsewhere on iguanas and that comes down to funding it's all about funding i mean that's the toughest part of doing research and saving species is it's expensive and that's usually what it comes down to is needing funds um but you know it's i'm on the fence with the whole them getting more and more popular because a lot of people can't handle cyclura and don't have the experience to deal with it um you know they're not all puppy dog tame some are some aren't usually it's dependent on handling and how much they're habituated but not always i've worked with a lot of cyclura and I've been around some for over 20 years that are still psycho and want to eat my face off and uh, others, puppy dogs, absolute puppy dogs, but you never know what you're going to do, what you're going to get. And the problem is if you get grabbed by a big cyclera, it's a hospital trip. Usually it's not going to be good. Um, so, you know, it's one of those on the fence sort of things. Like when you're at the herb show and the guy's walking around with the big croc monitor on his shoulder, it's like, one of these days, that's going to end really poorly. And it's like, oh, no, he's tame. There's no such thing as a tame monitor. Get a monitor to operating temperature and see if you can walk around there and show with them, especially a croc monitor. It's, I mean, it happens. You know, I mean, I've been around tame animals. I've had tame animals. But usually monitors, when they're at correct operating temperatures, are not handleable, docile animals. So, yeah, it's kind of one of those safety things that kind of makes me nervous because when something like that happens, it goes into the news. And then what happens? The laws come down and we get worked even worse. We already are. What's sad is every Herb
1: Show has that guy. And we're lucky that that has not backfired on us. Yeah,
0: every single one. (laughs) And it has. I saw a girl get grabbed by a boa not long ago at a Herb Show because of that. Dude holding him, not paying attention. Oh, he's dog tame. Whack. So For us, it's always reticks. It's always nice to have a
1: retick <laughs> on you, you know? <sighs> it's not hunting off top of your head or anything while I we're I have one on the or... show. I don't know. Oh, uh, Ryan
2: has a whole, whole
1: time. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's stationary at his table, not walking around.
0: I mean, he's selling retakes. He's going to have. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, if you're at your booth, sure. But when you're walking around and, you know, your croc monitor's face is right here and I'm standing there, uh uh, I don't like that. And I tell the guy, hey, dude, move. I don't want that thing in my face. I don't know your animal. It doesn't know me. I'd rather not have its head two inches from my ear. Uh, Yeah. So,
1: I mean, surely there's no reason to hold your
0: animal. Or bring your animal to the show and hold it out. That's that's the look at me thing that herpers do. That's all that is. 100%. Instagram hits. That's what that is. Absolutely. I mean, there's, I
1: hope to be part of a hobby that like respects and furthers conservation. Is there a way for the pet trade? To do that sustainably, I mean,
0: they, there are groups that do it. I mean, it's it's again, it's just dependent on people. You know, there's, uh, there's some of the auctions at some of the shows they've had. Um, the money goes straight into cycler research. Uh, Thai Parks Iguana Fest, all that money goes into iguana research. Um, You'll hear about a certain group. Chicago Herb Society has put uh, funding towards even my research and other people's research. There's groups that do it. It's just, uh, you know, it depends. It's kind of like all the shows have gone one direction with that funding that comes from auctions and everything. But yeah. sure, that's fine. But, you know, that's not helping conservation at all or conserve the animals everybody loves. That's helping us be able to have them. I get it. I, I totally get it, but maybe one or two shows, maybe throw some money <laughs> towards conservation. Yeah. So, I well, know. we've wisened up to that
1: at least for a few things. We know a few people who have been contributing elsewhere and will have yeah. something like that similar, but or yeah. soon rather. But yeah, I mean, but there's nothing like, I don't know, because we like to think that commonly, say, if I have a commonly imported species like uh, red blood python or you know, we hope that the pet, and honestly the pet trade now, should probably be able to have enough red blood pythons that we don't need to import thousands right. and thousands. But, right. Or, I mean, does it even matter because the skin trade is so heavy on red blood pythons that right. we don't even make
0: a dent in it? Yeah, we're nothing compared to the skin trade, from what I understand. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to see. You see it with monitors, tegus. A lot of animals are just taking a beating from the skin trade and, you know, the, the pet trade portion is a small part of it. But then there's other species that take a pretty big hit from the pet trade. So, you know, how much is enough? It seems like all that's here is ball pythons and leopard geckos and bearded dragons. <laughs> how are these things, where are these things going? You know, you don't see it. Yeah, uh, that's,
1: that's yeah. true. I mean, yeah, you think of all the animals that are sold, all the... Random sunbeam snakes that I see go off of a table. I've never right. seen anyone with a successfully kept <laughs> sunbeam snake <laughs> or like vine so snake or like any right. of that shit. Yeah, I it's mean, not where like are these it. things
0: going? See, that's what was cool about you know the '80s and the '90s. You go to an expo, and it was just everything. There was just so much different stuff, and you're like, ah, oh, dude, this guy's breeding, you know, some random little weird lizard that you'll never see again, and. You know, and he's got those babies on his table. Go check them out. It was cool. Now it's like, man, I don't even walk around the show anymore. There's just nothing I really want to see that much, you know? And it's just, I guess that's me being real again, which I take a lot of hate for. No, but it seems to
2: be everyone's (laughs) – that's the weird thing is, I mean –
0: yeah, it's
2: everybody's I feel like everyone you know, has the same view on it. Yeah, I feel like everyone's is like,
1: well, because uh, we're preaching to our own. Choir, I was about to right? say, I didn't know if we're just
2: agreeing with our friends, and they're our friends do, are they our friends because they agree with us, or do we, we, we already filtered
1: out the people that we wouldn't be friends with and, and wouldn't agree with. <laughs> we just talk to the ones that we
0: agree with. Right. So I
2: guess I mean, ever. I don't when I say everyone, I don't mean everyone. I just mean everyone who agrees well, I mean, with us. I mean,
0: I you know, there's beautiful animals. People are producing some really cool stuff, but. Man, I don't want to go to a show and go table after table after table of the same stuff. I'm just not even going to look. And, you know, I hear, I'll hear, you know, ah, so-and-so has some monitors or, you know, somebody's got some cool little geckos or something down there. Go check that out. And I just wait for the reports. I just, I I don't (laughs) want to walk around and see all that stuff. It's just, it's gotten old. You know, I've done this since the very first Herp Expos and it's just not the same.
2: Especially after you've seen what you've seen and you know the amount of stuff there's out there in this yeah. world. And then it's like you're not trying to see a tin ball pythons yeah. in a row.
0: But, I mean, you've seen a big shift, too, because, like, a lot of the guys that came up with me are just, like, not even into it at all anymore. And I right. sold my last snakes, like, 10 years ago. I'm just field herping now. I'm sick of all that crap. And and it's, like, it's it's that, what we just discussed about the monoculture that we're seeing at shows and everything, but it's also the whole Facebook and, and crap talking. It's just, everybody's sick of it. It's just, it's all you see and hear in here And like, yeah. our, on the ads, it's the same thing. Some guys, you know, oh, your animal's this or that, and it's uh, it's just shitting out the mouth constantly. It's just like, stop it, I can't take anymore. So yeah <laughs> sometimes i just gotta unplug and ignore it all and just go herping and fishing and hang out with non-herpers for a while
2: <laughs> yeah definitely um okay so we wouldn't be able to continue this without asking about Cinzinia.
1: yeah people keep on bringing up cenzinnia uh, we have multiple
2: <laughs> friends who are like i want cenzinnia cenzinnia where can i get it who like
0: all that. That's Where were keep? all these people when I was breeding the crap out of them, and I sell <laughs> They they just became
1: life. hot like a a year ago. Well, that's a how it goes. Go. Everything's in cycles.
0: It's like it's like fashion. Every ten to twenty years, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I was breeding the hell out of Sanzini in the early two thousands, and I couldn't sell them. So, I mean, I I gave Chris Jackson one, and somebody else the other, and and that was that. And then I got some more and then I was bored and I I moved them to get some more monitors, but, uh, easiest snake I ever bred. Um, people overthink species way too much. I think that's why some people have trouble with certain species is they overthink it. And I really, really think that besides monitors and some other things, people overheat their animals and, you know, either sterilize them or if, that's a problem I don't know or they just get them so hot they're stressed out you know Sanzinia don't like it hot I kept my Sanzinia like king snakes and they bred it two years and I bred them constantly it was totally easy and I had all I had heard was oh they're so hard to breed nobody can do it like I bred them as soon as I got them and it wasn't hard um and then when I got the second ones they grew like weeds and everybody's saying oh they grow so slow I'm like mine are growing fine so basically, yeah, I had a sixty-watt bulb in the cage, and that was it. Four-foot vision, water bowl. That was it. When she became gravid, I had a heating pad on low. Uh, she got big and black, swelled up, rolled on her side to bask. Had a bunch of babies, hmm. and that was kind of how it went every time. You know, and they we- they would go off feed a little bit in the winter. I'd fast them for maybe two or three months, but if she was acting all psycho like Joanne did, I'd feed her um and she she would eat all almost all the way up until giving birth. Uh the male would go off food a lot, which is normal for when they're cooling off. But yeah, I just tried feeding them if they didn't eat. Okay, we'll try next week. I kept them together year round. Um which you do with boas? I did spray them in the breeding season when it started getting cooler. Um they'd hook up, they'd breed, and she'd have babies. That was that. <laughs> Easy. Which <laughs> Which phase, I mean, which of the two phases did you have? I had greens. Have? Yeah, I had green ones. Yeah, I loved them. They were fun. I had them for a long time. Um, and I just, yeah, I couldn't sell them to save my life. I'd have shows beautiful red little babies. I'd have 20 of them out there. Nobody would take them. I'd end up trading them for stuff. And, oh, it was a nightmare. <laughs> um, the babies were not that hard to get eating. They weren't chondros, that's for sure. They were quite a bit easier. Um, they would usually begin eating on their own little pinks. Um, what I found was they liked bigger food, and I fed them live. So I put them on a little perch in a cup or in a uh, lunch bag, a little brown lunch bag, and just throw a live hopper in there. And they usually start eating You know, by the third week or so. Pretty, pretty simple. Yeah. Wow. So, do you know
2: where people can buy them
1: today? Do you <laughs> well, know? I mean, probably Bill Hughes. <laughs> well, somebody Dance just asked me that. Somebody a hard asked time. Me that.
0: Um,
1: well, it's time of year also is kind of a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, no, I
0: mean, I just know people that have tears that are still trying. Um. I haven't seen any Babas available in a couple of years now.
1: Hmm. But you kind of hinted on, I was wondering, obviously you kept those animals in cages. Obviously you've kept animals in giant, I'm sure zoo setups mm-hmm. type enclosures and on tubs sterilized. I mean, what, when it comes to snakes, is there a difference? What are we doing? Should we
0: keep them all in tubs? I mean, what are your thoughts on all that? I I don't care really and <laughs> the snakes don't seem to care either. Um, yeah, I mean, a big, beautiful display is cool, but I mean, it's not unhealthy. And if um, it just depends on the person, I mean, and what their husbandry's like. Yeah, you're going to get if Joe Schmo doesn't care about his animals and doesn't clean and you know doesn't scrub his tubs and stuff. Yeah, the animals are going to look like crap and get sick and have issues. But I'm anal about my cage. K- I always have been. I'm super anal. I can't even stand seeing poop in there. The glass I have to clean all the time. I'm just—I've always been that way. That's how I'm with my house too, and so yeah. I mean, I haven't had any issues because of my OCD. I guess you can say, but um, you know, I mean, I don't mind slide racks and tubs. I still use them. No big deal. I mean, if they're too small, yeah, that's one thing. If you got a, you know, 12 foot berm stuffed in some little four foot thing, that's awful. But yeah, uh, no, give them space. Give them, I, for snakes, I like them to be able to stretch all the way up
1: hmm
0: yeah i mean that seems totally reasonable
1: yeah <laughs> and you kind of you mentioned co also which yeah yeah you hear people that like it people people know.
0: hate it like it you know. yeah but i mean mine never had an issue ever and most of the bows i bred i always kept them together i also had huge cages i mean you know i had some and you know eight foot cages and uh, the Sanzania were not massive when I got them, uh, and they had, like I said, four-foot visions, and that was plenty of space, and um, when I knew she was uh, definitely gravid and getting ready to give birth, I'd pull the mail then, um, so he wouldn't be back with her for a few months after she gave birth, um, but yeah, I never had any issues at all with any of the boats keeping them together year-round, or most of the year. Same no, with monitors. They're... I try and keep my monitor pairs together unless uh, unless they scrap or the female doesn't want to be bred anymore and the male keeps wanting to breed, then I'll separate them. Same with Cyclera. Mm-hmm. What other kinds of snakes have you kept?
1: I mean, people are asking all different kinds of species, but <laughs> uh, like python-wise.
0: <laughs> uh um i i really liked my jungles back in the day when not many people had them like in the early 90s i got uh gary siperly's female four that thing was just a screamer and i reserved some from gary and i got those and bred them at a couple years of age and they're fantastic animals but yeah and then i had new guineas and coastals and brettles and uh stempsons and perthensis and all that stuff you know I went through the phases just like everybody else get as much as you can then dump it all and get a whole different group <laughs> and, you know colubrids i did for years and years i still have some colubrids and you know i mean i've kept a lot of stuff and then i you know i like weird stuff so like i said telescopus you know the little funky african snakes and african house snakes and shovel nose snakes and just I don't know. Whatever kind of looks cool. Lingahas from Madagascar. I don't think I've ever even heard of that. The what little is leaf, like little lingahas? Snake. Langaha madagascarensis. Yeah, really cool little Madagascan twig looking snakes. I really I miss the venomous stuff, though, working in Australia. I mean, inland taipans are some of the coolest, most mellow snakes ever. They're nothing like a coastal taipan. Coastals are psycho, but they can get really tame in captivity. But inlands are like king snakes. Really fun, cool snakes. I miss taking care of those. Death adders were a lot of fun. And then uh, when I left Steve's place, I went down to Melbourne Zoo and I uh, got a job in their reptile house. So got to play with Urutus and all kinds of cool stuff so I miss a lot of the venomous stuff that we can't play with here
1: yeah that's awesome I mean I feel like a lot of those Australian herpers are pretty free-flowing with their hands with the venomous reptiles you Um, have to be do you prescribe
0: well that's what's funny is everybody thought Steve was a psycho and it's like no man he's like that's what all Aussie herpers do because you have to there's not an eastern brown will never stay on a hook ever I mean, imagine a coach whip that's like one of the most toxic snakes on earth, that as soon as you tail it, it's coming for your face, you know, and that's just what you have to do. And, you know, that was part of the game when I became a Aussie herb keeper. I had to learn tailing is the key to doing this. You, you had a hook on the front of the body a lot, but a lot of times they'd just bypass it completely. <laughs> you just had to know the free-flowing hands was a skill you had to learn because, you just can't do anything and you know we did snake calls too you know so part of my job at australia zoo was doing the snake calls on the sunshine coast and uh god nine out of ten times it was an eastern brown and you'd get up there and you're like damn it i gotta grab that thing and he's gonna come at my face and go ballistic and if he grabs me i'm screwed and you, know, you just learn really quick how to do it and how to bag them as quick as you can with, without handling them too much so That's why those guys are good, man. Those Aussies are some fantastic snake handlers. And I've been herping with all those guys and it came to the point like we're racing to see who got to catch it first, because it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Probably not the safest message I'm giving, but Yeah, (laughs) dangerous fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, Big King Brown crosses the road and there's four of us throwing elbows trying to get to it first and get our hands on it. So Yeah, I miss those days, but I'm, I'm older and slower now, so I'm not going to go <laughs> yeah. on to that these days.
1: <laughs> Is there any place that you have left to Herp?
0: Oh, there's so many places left. There's so much of Mexico I'd like to do. It's a little too sketchy in some of the places, but there's other places on mainland that I want to do. Again, I've, I've been there and done quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, there's tons of places in Mexico, Durango, more in Oaxaca, a lot of places. Uh, more South America. I'd like to do some Brazil stuff. Uh, more Indonesia, China, Japan. You know, I haven't done a lot in Asia. But so yeah, there's. I'll never get to all of it. So try and try and get to as much as I can. Yeah, I guess there's there's always something else
2: new place.
0: <laughs> always, always more herping. Even in the U.S., there's still places I've been to. A lot of the big her places you hear about or read about in the U S but there's still others that I'd like to go mess around with.
1: So have you been to, I mean, West Texas, have
0: you found alterna in the wild, all that lore? I've done Texas, but I didn't get an alterna. I've only done it once. Um, My son won the, when he was 12, he won the first junior herpetology award for IHS. And that meeting was in San Antonio. And I said, if you do this and you go speak in front of all these herp people um, and you do a good job, we'll go herp west, Texas. So he went up and he killed it. He did a fantastic talk on swytax geckos. And uh, so we went and we did the whole, the whole west route. And we timed it just in time for really cold rain and a lot of it. <laughs> And a tornado touched down and destroyed oh, the wow. part of the hotel we were at. It was a nightmare. <laughs> oh wow! Um, we saw a lot of stuff, but uh, we didn't get the alternative. So uh, we have we will be going back. Got to <laughs> be done.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's another one of those places. If you've never been in
0: West Texas, it's so vast. It's different world. It is. it's massive. It's world. Yeah. It was fun. I mean, I had a I had a great time herping there, but yeah, it was it was kind of different. Mm-hmm. Cool, different. Mm.
1: Now on <laughs> the on the animal front, now that we ask, do you have any hurt places left? Do you have any animals left that you have not kept that you want to have the opportunity
0: to keep? Kept? Yeah. Um, no, nah, you know I'm not thinking the keeping route much these days. Like I said, I'm getting more and more away from it, um, just because I want to field hurt more. But if you asked me if there's any animals I want to see in the field still, uh, yes, uh, king cobra. I'm going to India soon. I'm catching a king cobra. But uh, or, you know, man chain vipers or, you know, something cool like that. I've seen a lot of cool stuff, but there's always more. But no, keeping wise. No, nah, there's nothing. I, I really am aching to go get and keep right now.
2: Now, is your son, since he's so into all of this, does he have his own kind of collection or is he just kind of? Yeah, he does.
0: He uh, He's bred leopard geckos since he was like six years old. And then he got into knobtail geckos. He's got some Mexican black king snakes. Um, but he's like me. Uh, he's mini me. I'll admit it right now. He's junior me. Seems like and it. And he <laughs> likes field herping. That's his thing. And he likes surfing. And now he's a crazy fisherman. And I started that, but now he wants to go every single he's waiting for me right now to go fishing. At this hour. He's like, Come on, we gotta go get the bullhead catfish. It's going off right now. Let's go. Isn't he's it, waiting.
2: Yeah, school tomorrow.
0: So yeah, he does. But he's in <laughs> high school now. He's he's allowed to stay up later. So <laughs> yeah. It's uh yeah, he keeps stuff but he'd rather field herb. I respect that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think uh I don't know. Does this, seeing them out in the wild, I mean, change your perspective a little bit of them in captivity at all?
0: Yeah, it does. Uh, monitors, especially uh, monitors, when you you just see how active and you know how much how much territory they cruise through and stuff. Yeah, it kind of makes you think. Eh, I don't know that I want to keep these in these cages anymore. Snakes, not so much. I see the same snakes in this. I've, I've had a gopher snake under the same sheet of tin for about two and a half months now. <laughs> so he's, you'll see me post him every week. Here's my boy again, the same red diamonds in the same spots every every week. Um, so snakes, not as much, but uh, certain species of snakes. yeah, you know, like coach whips and stuff. Yeah, I, unless you have like a whole room You know, I don't want to be keeping those in some slide rack or something, but, you know, boids and things like that, I don't don't see an issue with it. But, yeah, monitors, I just don't like seeing them in little cages.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially to look at. I mean, they just did a study, I mean, years ago on indigo snakes, and they, I mean, they cover a range of, I think, a square mile.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's like, how do I keep
1: them in a... Yeah. Three foot, four
0: foot you cage. Know. a lot of a lot of snakes do that. You know, red diamond rattlesnakes, I radio tracked I radio tracked rosy boas. You know, they would move. The males with the biggest home ranges were like fifteen hectares. You know, that's a lot of space. Even horn lizards, coast horn lizards, man, they would cruise half a mile in a day. And it was part of their territory. They just have these massive home ranges. So yeah, I mean, we're we're not even close for any of the herbs we keep. On what they need, unless you have an knoll in a bedroom or something. you know, we're we're not even close. But but again, it doesn't seem to affect them poorly. It's all it all depends on the person keeping them,
1: you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've gone we've gotten good at keeping things alive and reproducing them I don't know. for sure. Yeah, Anything I mean, past that, I think I think now that we got that down, I mean, but we could still look at
0: for places to improve upon you know enrichment you know enrichment is something that nobody ever thought reptiles needed but i mean they can they can do quite a bit with it especially monitors monitors and crocodilians are brilliant animals i mean you see them figuring out problems in their cages and uh they know us they can tell us apart from one another and you know if you can give them enrichment, do it, because it would help, help them mentally. they probably get very, very bored in their enclosures.
1: And, I mean, obviously everyone knows monitors are intelligent, but I mean, do snakes, do you see benefits from enrichment with snakes too? Sure, yeah, I mean,
0: there's snakes that are target trained. Like, so, you know, it seems like the more intelligent snakes, just from looking at them, are the, you know, diurnal snakes, large eyes, fast moving, you know, mambas, things like that, cobras. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's people target training snakes and training them to do things and yeah, they're smarter than we give them credit for and they're much more social than we ever thought they were as well. Hmm. Well, Wow. Big research area right now is social, sociality and snakes. Definitely. So really cool. I mean,
1: is there, I mean, just off the top of your head, I mean, is there anything that pertains to the community and kind of the snakes that we commonly keep?
0: pertaining like how, how so do you mean?
1: socially as far as you know obviously we keep all of our snakes in solidarity oh, right
0: right
1: are there any um, snakes say like if they found yeah. ball pythons hide in dens with 10 of them together you uh-huh. know would that change things i don't know
0: i mean they definitely come across multiple animals in a season that's pheromones are everything they sent trail to each other i mean some species seem to like bigger groups and some don't but then again we don't know that much about wild snakes yet because there's species we just can't radio track yet. The technology isn't there. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it'll be exciting in the next, you know, 10, 20 years, when the technology is good enough that we can radio telemeter snakes, like we can, you know, condors with GPS packs Mm -hmm. and, and, and cameras on them so we can see what they're doing all the time. Mm. You know, when that happens for snakes, we're going to, we're going to learn some stuff. It's going to be awesome. And hopefully yeah. I'm, you know, not an 80-year-old man with a walker out in the field trying to catch snakes before that comes. But I don't know. I'm getting tired. <laughs> uh, you're
2: still doing a lot. So
0: uh, yeah, yeah. It's all in your head. Age is in your head. Age <laughs> is
2: just a number. That's right. Another number is the time.
0: (laughs) And we have
2: have reached our (laughs) two hours and it is eleven PM.
0: Yeah, we usually do this. I'll be more I'll be as tired as you after I go fishing tonight.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like we're (laughs) gonna (laughs) go to sleep after this. (laughs) Uh, All right. You're gonna go fishing for however long.
2: Yeah, but it's only what eight o'clock there. Eight o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. easier. And I sat through seven hours of parent-teacher conferences today. I'm tired. Jeez. Yeah, that's brutal. I don't know how you do that.
0: Well, different world. Other little crocs and cobras any day of the week.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, but if someone wanted to uh, reach out to you, what's the best way they could get Facebook?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's how most people get a hold of me on the private messenger thing, so.
1: And do you have animals for sale or plan to have animals for
0: sale? Um, I have two monitors left, two primordial males. And you'll see them on my page right now and on Fauna Classified. That's that's all I got. And then I'm I'm done with monitors for just taking a break. I can't, this will be the first time in about 30 years I haven't had a monitor. Um, but it'll be a nice break, so because I have a lot of traveling to do. Um, get a hold of me on Cuba, people. Trip in oh, June. Yeah. There's like five spots left. They go fast, all inclusive, except for your airfare. Once you get there, it's all covered. You don't do anything. I even cover the tips while we're there. Um, oh. So cruise out, see some awesome stuff. Nothing like a giant chameleon sitting on your arm. That sounds awesome. It everyone is.
2: said they would go with you.
0: Let's Who's go. Evan you with me? Everyone,
1: I so. said. Oh, everyone. Mike there's only six there's lots, lots, people.
2: Mike, <laughs> um, Will,
1: all these people. All right, so we're going to have from the Ground Up Fest in Cuba. So we're going to one-up the Carpet go. Fest, guys. Go to Do Cuba.
2: It. There you go. We're going to have
1: Cuba Fest. I have to wait <clears now>, too <throat> much
2: here. Long nice. Um, cool. If... Anyone uh, wants to reach out to us? Obviously, you can catch us on YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Port City Pythons. Our website is portcitypythons.com. Our email is the portcitypythons.com. <laughs> Wait, no,
1: the portcitypythons.com.
2: Sure. <laughs> Sorry, what's up?
0: I was um, too cheap to buy the the, email. the domain. <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: Gmail's great.
0: <laughs> uh, they could uh, they could get me on Instagram to Jeff underscore Lem L E M M. I don't even think I'm following you, so I will now. And obviously, I mean, ouch. Do
1: you and your son have a Instagram? Because I yeah, my son's on there you. too.
0: Matthias underscore Lem Photography, I think, is his. Just Sweet. Matthias Lem. He uh, has a lot of cool photos. Mine's mostly herb photos, some fish and stuff, but wildlife. So awesome! Yeah, check it out. Sweet anything
1: else
2: uh we'll be here next week wait guys the curse Wow. i'm sorry okay. i'm sorry we it works whenever sure we I announce a
1: guest beforehand there's they always don't...
2: something that goes wrong whether Uh-oh. like they either, like don't come or like the feed cuts out during the thing like so many different whatever issues and I'm a total believer in it. Joe's not so much. So, like, Joe posted pictures on our Instagram saying that we were going to have you on tonight. I was mad at him because I was like, it's the curse. <laughs> curse has worked every single other time we've said it to someone who's coming <clears throat> on. Something happens. Like, every other time. So and I we're not talking, talking like, like brother, like the curse.
0: Did I break the nice. curse?
2: I think you broke the
1: curse. I'm
2: probably seeing it again now by saying it. I shouldn't have said anything. Just... We're Uh, good. It's over
1: now, right? Sick guys. We can breathe easy now. Thank God. (laughs) Now I can actually promote our shows.
2: (laughs) My puppy
0: (laughs) didn't even wake up like he's still asleep. Puppies not home. Kids didn't come in. All perfect.
2: (laughs) Good show. Well, thank you again, Jeff, uh, for being on. It was great to have you and pick your brain and everything.
0: Certainly. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Of course and we will catch
1: you guys next week with someone that i won't tell but i can because the curse doesn't exist uh, we will catch you later
2: not